Lord God, we give you thanks that in this Advent season, in this time of waiting, you meet us. You teach us what it means to not only be people who live in the in-between time, but people who bring peace, hope, joy, and love where you send us. As we look forward to the day when you will return again in glory. And so this morning, as we come before your word, we ask that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So growing up, I liked to go hiking and camping. It was something that I did with my dad uh, because I was a part of the Boy Scouts. And so as a part of the Scouts, uh, once a month, we would go on uh, a camping trip. And so we were always uh, spending time checking our gear, making sure that we were ready. And one of the first things that you learned in the Scouts when it came to camping and to hiking was that you had to have the right gear. You had to have the right gear for the season that you were in. You had to have the right gear for the terrain that you were going to be trying to navigate. But there, was always a, there were always a couple of things that no matter what the season, no matter what the terrain, you had to have these with you. And at the top of that list was always a first aid kit. You always had to have a first aid kit with you because of the fact that, that you never knew what was going to happen when you were out there on the trail or when you were out there camping. And this wasn't just like a couple of band-aids and some neosporin, right? This was like, a, you had to have a serious first aid kit, okay? Yes, it had to have band-aids, but it also had to have gauze and it had to have tape and you had to have rubbing alcohol and you had to have things like, like an ace bandage. You know, you needed to have an, an emergency kit because again, when you're out on the trail, when you're camping, you just don't know what you're going to encounter. There could be a bear living in the tree that you decide to pitch your tent under. Bears don't live in trees. See, that's another thing that you learn in Boy Scouts. So for those of you who are looking at me like bears and trees, no, bears don't live in trees. But, but the point being, you know, if you encountered these difficult situations, you wanted to make sure that you had everything ready. Because there was this acknowledgement that we live in a broken world, that we live in a world where injury can happen, where illness can take place. Then the motto of the Boy Scouts was to be prepared, to be ready for it. Our first aid kit helped us to be ready when we faced things like illness and injury and suffering. And so throughout this series, what we've been doing is we've been kind of focusing on an object each week when we talk about messy Christmas and where is God in the mess. And we've been kind of putting some objects on our messy Christmas tree. We put a ruler up there the first week to remind us that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Last week, we put a bottle of glue on our tree to remind us that in a world of division and brokenness, God comes to bring healing. Uh, God comes to bring wholeness. And so uh, this week, I thought I would, I'd add an ace bandage to our messy Christmas tree, because I think that this looks like a pretty awesome garland. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to wrap this tree with our ace bandage, because this morning, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about where is God in the midst of suffering? Where is he when health seems elusive? The reason we ask that question is because 2020 has been a year of illness. It's been a year marked by a pandemic. It's been a year in which we've seen brokenness on display every single day. And it's really come home to roost for many of us. And the reality is, is that it doesn't take 2020 to see this, though. I think anytime we encounter injury or illness 
or yes, even death and the loss of a loved one, we start to ask some pretty deep questions, some pretty profound questions about God, about our world, and about where is God in the midst of the mess? And especially when health seems elusive, especially when suffering seems to be all around us, we start to wrestle with some big questions. Because at the heart of our faith, we we believe some really good things about God. We believe that God is good, that God is a God of love, that yes, he's all powerful, but he is gentle and merciful and humble at heart. And when we find suffering in our world and we see the brokenness in the world around us, it really starts to force us to question some of what we believe about God. Is he really good if things like illness and sickness and death and disease persist in our world? And a lot of the reason why that becomes a challenge for us is because of what we affirm about him. Right, we, we read passages like Isaiah 40, 11, which we read earlier in our service, where we're told that God is like a shepherd He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Or we think about Jesus' ministry, right? Where we saw him as a shepherd fully on display, encountering people who had injuries and illnesses, reaching out his hands to heal them and and to make them well again. We see him at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend who had died, raising him to life. And in those moments, when, when we look at those stories, and then we look at the world around us, we start to ask questions like, so why isn't he healing me right now? Why isn't he ministering to my loved one who's in the hospital? Why do we continue to see things like global pandemics and cancer and illness and disease and injury? Why do we continue to have a world that's filled with suffering and death? Is God really good? Is he really loving? Is he really all-powerful? And honestly, this isn't a question that we're just dealing with in 2020. It's a question that people deal with around the world that we've dealt with down through the centuries. In fact, it's a question that Jesus himself had to face on the cross. That when he was hanging there in his moment of suffering, and while as he was at the doorstep of death, people were shouting out to him, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel, so let him come down now from the cross and then we'll believe in him. People looking even at Jesus as he hung there saying, we've seen you heal. We've seen you raise people to life. So what are you doing up there? And even his own disciples were discouraged. We, we read about the Emmaus Road encounter, right? Where, where Jesus kind of in disguise, you know, comes walking along with his disciples after his resurrection. And, and they're all distraught and, and just falling apart. And Jesus is like, well, what are you talking about? And they said, well, haven't you heard what's happened in Jerusalem? And he's like, no, tell me what happened in Jerusalem. And he's like, well, we were following this guy and we thought that he was the Holy One of God. I mean, he did mighty miracles and, and powerful works, but, but now he's dead. So, so maybe he wasn't who we thought he was after all. See, Jesus himself faced this question. If God is so good and God is so loving. Why is there still suffering in the world? And if there is still suffering in the world, maybe that means either God's not loving and good or he's not powerful and able to deal with it. And at, at first blush, that seems like a reasonable conclusion. It seems like a logical conclusion, right? Unless... Unless God's understanding of healing and God's understanding of wholeness is something far deeper and more profound than anything else we've ever seen. 
Because the reality is, is, that, is that pain, pain is something that reminds us that there's something wrong. You talk to any health professional about pain, what will they tell you? They'll tell you that what the pain is indicating is that something that was good, something that was beautiful, something that was working just fine, now there's something wrong with it. Pain insists that we attend to it. It's actually a warning uh, to us. It's, it's supposed to grab our attention and point us to what? It's supposed to point us to health. It's supposed to get us to a doctor, right? The existence of pain doesn't negate the reality of health. The existence of suffering doesn't, uh, doesn't negate the reality that there is a healer. In fact, I love how C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, puts it. He says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, in those moments when we find ourselves struggling with suffering, with injury, with illness, and yes, even the pain of death, what God is doing in those moments is first and foremost, he's alerting us to the fact that there is something broken in this world. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Our world is not supposed to be a world that has things like injury and illness and sickness and disease and death. There is something good out there, something better. And in those moments when we cry out, the first promise that God gives us is that he's listening but then the second thing that he assures us is that he understands. He understands. You see, throughout the Bible, one of the things we find is that when people encounter suffering, the other thing that they encounter is they encounter God himself. We go all the way back to the beginning of the story, back into the book of Genesis, right? Where Abraham and Sarah are dealing with their own suffering and longing and loss. They can't have children. And in a society where family was everything, that, that was a deep pain in their hearts. And yet God said, I see you. I see your suffering. And I want you to come with me to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a Now their pain doesn't immediately go away. You look at their life and it's filled with ups and downs. And yet in the midst of it all, they suddenly come to understand that God is a God who's present to them, who's walking with them, and who ultimately does fulfill his promises and does make them a great nation, even though Abraham never lives to see it. He sees one child and that's it. One child of promise. Story goes on, and we meet one of Abraham's great grandchildren, Joseph, right? This kid who is betrayed by his own brothers, thrown into a well, sold into slavery, falsely accused, and left to rot in a jail. And yet, in the midst of all that suffering, what was God doing? He was shaping Joseph's heart to be a man of humility and compassion. So that when he was raised to a position of authority, he was able to save the lives of countless people, not just throughout Egypt, but throughout the surrounding nations, even to save his own family who betrayed him. God used that pain and that suffering, walked with Joseph through it, and brought something greater out on the other side. You think about the slavery in Egypt and the genocide that the people were facing and how even in the midst of that, God says, I've heard the cries of my people and I will deliver them. And he raises up Moses. 
A man who's able to deliver God's people and then God walks with them through the desert, providing them with manna and water. Over and over and over again, what scriptures tell us is that in the midst of pain, God is still present. He's still at work. He understands and he's doing something about it. That is the ongoing testimony of scripture. Is that in the midst of the mess, God is still here. God is still bringing healing and he still understands. And I'll be honest, in my own moments of pain and of loss and of grief, at the end of the day, I I really don't need the answer to the question, why? What I really need is I need to know, does someone understand? And will this pain come to an end? And what's so beautiful about what we read in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53, is that God says, not only do I understand, but yes, I will bring it to an end. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 53, speaking about Jesus. It says that he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our, our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. See, in moments of pain, one of the things that God says is he says, I do understand because I've experienced it too. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to be wounded. I know what it's like to be abandoned. I've gone through it all, all of it. I know exactly what you're going through. God promises us that he understands our pains intimately. That he's right there with us in the midst of them. But then the second thing he tells us in this passage, and he says, but I am still doing something about it. He goes on and says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. He then goes on and talks a little bit later on in that very same chapter about how the day will come in which he will see the light of life and be satisfied. A day will come in which he will bring death itself to an end. In this passage, what he's saying is not only do I understand, but I am bringing about a day when there will be no more death or crying or pain anymore, for the old order of things will be gone and I will make all things new. You see, when you stop and you think about it and you look at the the life of Jesus and even the miracles that he performed, they were all signposts pointing to something greater. They were all temporary fixes pointing to the greater healing that he would bring. I mean, have you ever stopped and really thought about that for a second? That Jesus gave sight to the blind. He helped the lame to walk, the mute to speak, but there would become a day when they became sick again. Think about Lazarus for a moment. Jesus went to his tomb and raised him from the dead, but Lazarus still died many years later of old age. In those miracles, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, this healing, this isn't the end. This isn't the thing that I came to bring. There's a greater healing coming. 
A day when people will see for all time, when people will not simply walk but dance with joy, when there will be no more tombs, there will be no more separations, there will be no more death, there will only be life, there will only be light. In each one of these things, I am bringing about something greater. When Jesus came into our worlds to become a human being, he was coming to give us a foretaste of what ultimately would be made on the day when he came again. That the descended God would rise again as the ascended Lord. That the child in the manger would become the man on the cross. But that ultimately this dark and broken world would be made whole. When he returns again in glory, every single one of his miracles was pointing to a greater healing. Because Jesus says, I understand your pain. I see your brokenness. And what you need more than temporary quick fixes is the ultimate healing that I will bring again. That just as I rose again from the dead, so I will return to make all things new. And honestly, that is the message that we need in moments of suffering and hardship and brokenness. In the moments of injury and sickness. In the moments of suffering and death. I know because I've experienced it. I'll be honest, holidays have gotten hard for me over the past couple of years. The reason why is because of something that we uh, my wife and I have not shared with too many people, but I felt like I had to, to tell a, at least a part of the story uh, this weekend. Holidays are hard for us because it was about two years ago that we announced to our parents that we were going to have a fourth child. We were very much looking forward to what that baby would bring, but then it was a, the same week of, as my birthday, that January, that we found out we were never actually going to meet that little one face-to-face. -face. And I'll be honest, in that moment... I didn't need a why. What I needed to know was did God understand? And would he bring this to an end? And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that in Jesus, I know, number one, that God does understand. He knows exactly what it's like to lose a child. On the cross, God the Father looked down and saw his son, whom he loved, and whom he was well pleased being taken from him. But in his resurrection, Jesus showed that death never has the last word. That for those who know him, we have the promise of reunion, which means that one day I will see that child face to face. In a world where there are no more tears. In a world where there are no more goodbyes. In a world where there is no more suffering, no more pain, no more injury, no more illness, because Jesus came again to make all things known. And the reason that I have hope in that is because he did it once and he will do it again. He came into this world to live with us, to walk with us, to suffer alongside us, to die for us. And he rose again. His tomb is empty. 33 AD, a man walked out of a grave. It's one of the greatest facts of human history. 
not just an idea that we cling to. It's a historical fact, a reality in which we put our hope and our trust. And that same man said, and just as I came once, so I will come again and I will make all things new. I don't know what you're going through this messy Christmas. I don't know what pain or suffering or sickness or illness or loss you are facing. But what I can promise you is this, Jesus knows He is with you. His promise is that this dark season is not the end. That valleys of the shadow of death open onto pastures beside still waters. That even in the midst of our enemies, he sets a table before us and our cups overflow. And that when he returns again in glory, he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more sickness or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Behold, the new will have come. When we sing that Jesus is Emmanuel, we are taking hope in the promise that he is the God who is with us and who will come again to make all things new. To truly bind up the brokenhearted to heal all of our infirmities and to welcome us into light and life, never to be separated from him and from one another for all time. And so it's with that in mind, I wanted to close this message in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are not a distant God, but you are a God who is Emmanuel. You are with us. You are our good shepherd. You lead us even in life's most difficult circumstances. You understand our pains and our fears and our frustrations, and yet you still minister to us. And I pray that that comfort would carry us even in the midst of a year like 2020, even in a holiday season uh, uh, that is filled with so much difficulty, so much sickness, so much injury and pain and loss. Lord, we give you thanks that these things are but a moment and that your healing will rise like the sun. As Advent people, we look forward to that day when you will come again. And we pray that you would help us to bring that same hope, that same peace, that same joy, and that same love into the lives of those around us who are struggling. That they too would know you as Emmanuel, God with us. It's in your name that we say, Amen.